Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycasts. Hello, we're the Kransky Sisters on Joy Joy 94.9. Hello and welcome to Been There Done That on Joy 94.9. It's Chris here. And I'm Gordon. That makes me Phil. It makes you feel what? Makes me feel like Phil. Oh, even better. (laughs) (laughs) If we're going to work on enunciation, are we? (laughs) And then thank you to the band. uh, They've been in and this is their pre-Christmas effort for us. Are they having a holiday over Christmas? No, they're not. They're going to be accompanying us on a couple of special programs uh, on Christmas Day night and on New Year's Day night because we're going to be coming in and doing a music bracket for you for our program. Been there, done that, our little history program. We've got lots of items of history today in this show. Some very recent. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Some very recent. We're going to be talking about... Well, because it's been dramatic, we're going to be talking about weather activities Mm. and whether they are historical or just modern-day invention. We're going to be talking about HTTP. Very briefly. Very briefly. All right, then. But there were some other events that happened on Christmas Day. Well, Santa never made it into Darwin. Well, that's one of the stories, Mm. indeed, indeed. We'll also be talking politics, historical Australian politics as well. And there's a couple of similarities there. And we've got some anniversaries uh, for our last little chat on the day. Some couple of gay people, couple of gay men who separately uh, created their own careers. And we'll be talking about an author who wasn't gay, but did a Christmas story. And we'll be talking about that as well. So there we are. Gentlemen, have you got web feet? Well, no, not really. But but what about the weather that we've been having here in over the whole of Australia, actually, but but particularly here in Melbourne, the rain that fell on Friday, that Friday afternoon, oh, yeah. was it was the the last time it happened like that. The the water was rushing down uh, Elizabeth Street in a huge stormy creek rush because that's where there used to be a creek where uh, Elizabeth Street is yeah. now, and the water just took its own way down there. But I was amazed because I was sitting at home at about that time, and it was sort of sunshiny. I didn't know that the rain had fallen like it did in Melbourne. And it wasn't until I saw the news that night that I realised that they showed the water falling down the DeGrave Street steps like a waterfall. I thought, God, that's going to flood the DeGrave Street entrance to the station. Well, see, usually in Melbourne we have frontal weather, Mm. whereas you'll see a cold front come through and there'll be rain associated with. These were storm cells. This is more like what you'd see in Cyclone. 
Cyclone. Or Hurricane Alley yeah. in the US. So they just form, they're quite compact and small, but they're intense. It's very intense rain, so it's very wet for a fairly short period. Yeah. And the drains just get overwhelmed yeah, but, and throw up. But look at that, look at that um, place up in Queensland that had 27 inches of rain, if you go back to the old measurements, which was 600 and something odd millimetres mm. of rain, which is... But that's uh, the tropics. That's yeah, what you expect. Uh, I know that they do get rain like that up there, but boy... <laughs> That amount of rain, it's... Uh, well, on the island worst. of Maui in Hawaii, hmm. you've got the dry side and the wet side. On oh, the dry right. side, you might get what we'd call normal rain, and the wet side, with all the water balls, gets hundreds of inches a year. Well, you don't have to go to Maui, you can go to Tasmania for that, because the west coast of Tasmania hmm. is very, very wet. The east coast is not as wet as it's quite dry in the east coast. It's Nothing against Tasmania, but I'll take Maui any day, it's warm. <laughs> The drains in Melbourne don't cope with large volumes of water because they're only made for the Melbourne drizzle, the Melbourne mist, as we call it. And these big tropical dumps that we've had of late just can't be coped with. Except for Blackburn, where we've had a history of flooding the underpass at the station, (laughs) which got a bit of embarrassment. So we've now got super drains and we no longer get the flooding. Burnley should get that soon because they got flooded the other day. But nobody talks about climate change is not happening, of course, to the people that are in charge of everything, apart from the scientists who say that it is oh, happening. Oh, the politicians, the politicians are in charge. The, yeah. the politicians yeah, are in charge, can, yes. I didn't want to mention them because, no. you know, but anyhow. We'll, we'll talk about them a little later, yeah, maybe. But, so you're saying that the Melbourne's climate, it's Mediterranean. Mediterranean. The yeah. fact that we're getting tropical storm cells <laughs> yes. is, is not a change? Yeah. Well, certainly to is. us and the people that got involved with it and flooded out, that would be. Well, the, the rain that actually we got was put in the clouds way up in far north, north Queensland with FNQ. those cyclones. Mm. And on the way down, it the, the winds and everything went over the areas that are currently in drought and sucked up a lot of the dust from the air. And that's why we had brown rain. Oh, right. If you want stability, go to Spain. Why? It only rains at the airport. No, it rains in the rain in Spain stays mainly on the plane. Yeah, and it's at the airport. <laughs> Is it okay? <laughs> Where else would you find an aeroplane? On the plane, yeah. <laughs> but 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 the worst part about it was that no rain fell out in the the drought parts of the of the country either. No. Didn't they? Didn't get anything. No. Where everybody else got it, but that's the why that can never sort of keep that water because it's so much of it. Mm. It has to flow out to sea. We yeah. need a climate machine. Do we? We need to control the climate. Oh. I'll now, get back to you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, there was something sad happened last weekend, and that was the car going over the, one the, of the, the ramp ramps to, mm. on the Western Freeway. Yeah. And the two guys in the car lost their lives, but it was probably aided and abetted, and I'm guessing here, and I've not heard any of the coroner's reports, and I'm sure they'll be coming along, but there was a suggestion that with this modern car, with electric- when it was being dro- driven along, as soon as you get up to a, over 10k an hour, the doors automatically lock mm-hmm. and the windows are yep. not manual they're all electric and the the car went off the road over the side down the ditch into a dam mm. and it, it appears that the vehicle itself was unsafe in those circumstances well they couldn't have, had had they, they had the window a window open when they were driving along they probably would have been able to get out but if they were driving and the windows are closed, you couldn't open them in the water because the, See, everything 
blocks mm. off. But modern cars have got their failings as well. Mm. I mean, they mm. might be full of airbags and protection devices like that, but sadly not in that situation when you go into and the dam. We, we seem to be in a hurry to get to the future. We hear all this stuff mm. about self-driving cars and how safe they, mm. safe they are. They kill people. Mm. But you feel very, very sorry for the families and everything of those two, two guys. Mm. You know, it was just such a... A thing to happen, you know, with yeah. the, with these modern day cars. The way they, are. I know my my car is just automatic window with the electric windows, and it locks itself when you're going along at, as you say, about ten k an hour. And it, that, that now, I guess is the future. On this day, or right about Christmas Day, in the year of eighteen fifty nine, yes, some f- some rabbits that were introduced by <laughs> an owner of a property, Barwon Downs near Winchelsea, here in Victoria, just beyond. Geelong. That's right. And this particular bloke, Thomas Austin, uh, he's he's, uh, credited with introducing rabbits into Australia, leading to the current numbers of an estimated 200 million little bunnies. Mm, Yes, he, he, he decided he would import them for shooting so he could all his um, rich friends could go shooting rabbits like they did in England yeah but unfortunately the rabbits decided they liked Australia and they just and I wonder if they introduced the fox at about the same time probably the same purpose probably Mm. oh golly gosh yes but but underground mutton was very big on the menu when we were growing up because it was the only thing you could afford to get because I'm talking straight after the war you know we used to go out every night and trap them Wild rabbit actually has a distinct flavour, mm. not like the rabbits you get in the butcher shops these days, which are farmed rabbits, mm. uh, because the, the, the wild rabbits were eating the normal grasses and bushes and shrubs and things. Imagine if you had rabbits on some of those little islands in um, the Mediterranean. They would be eating rosemary bushes and they'd be self-originally flavoured <laughs> with, with <laughs> rosemary flavouring. I, I think the people on those little islands, <laughs> Chris, would be wise enough not to put the bloody things there because they wouldn't have any rosemary bushes. Indeed. But you know a good rabbit when it tastes as good as dolphin. What? I just like being politically incorrect. (laughs) (laughs) You certainly are. And you're with Gordon, Phil and Chris. Been there, done that. And we'd like to introduce to you the Kransky (laughs) sisters. They, they, They introduce the show, but they've come back for a little encore here on Joy. Chris. You better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list, he's checking it twice, he's going to find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you. You better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why, Santa Claus is coming 
You better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa Claus is coming to oh, town. I wish he'd hurry up. The bugger has a stuffed out stocking since 1976. Joy 94.9. You're with Gordon, Phil, and Crispy. They've done that, Joy 94.9. Oh, golly gosh. My head is in a bit of a spin with all this preparation for Christmas. Oh, I forget about it. <laughs> oh, well, you've lived through so many. They're all the same. Well, I, I'm not a Christmas person at all, ever. Have, ever never have been. Even as a kid, I wasn't. But, but you get little sayings like, it was the week before Christmas and all through the flat, not a creature was moving, not even a rat. <laughs> That's right, yes. <laughs> it's so festive. <laughs> so festive, yes. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've even forgotten to put up my little mirror ball. I have one mirror ball that I pull out every Christmas from the little box and stick it on the thing and... I haven't even thought about putting that out. What does the mirror do with his other ball? I don't know. (laughs) Very sad. (laughs) Very sad. It goes into a bit bit of a spin, actually, Chris. Oh, you lost me there. Spinning mirror balls. Oh, okay then. All right, thank (laughs) you. Oh, dear. That fell flat, yeah. (laughs) Only because you didn't get it. Now, look, on the 25th of December... We've got a few little events that happened happened around about that time. We're going to relate to you matters of history. Back in 1990, the first successful communication between an HTTP client and server over the internet spawns the World Wide Web. That's and a confusing I, statement, but I can it, hear everybody saying, "Huh." <laughs> who, who was the, who yeah, was the fellow that was on the HTTP to start with? Well, HTTP stands for Hypertext Transfer Protocol, so HTTP, and it's really a communication or a set of rules that allows different computers from different manufacturers and backgrounds to talk to each other over the internet. Now, the internet is just the physical hardware, and what this created is what we now call the World Wide Web. And that's a, a well, communication system, again, yeah. that allows you on your own computer to bring up your web browser, mm. which didn't exist before this, type in a location or a company name or somebody's name that you're looking for and actually communicate with them. Learn all about them if they've got a web page. Right. So this means that before then, the computers could only talk to each other if they're on, on their own local network. There are a lot of different networks. Um, the internet did allow different computers to talk to each other, but there was no uniform set of rules. No, so there were chat and networks. It was, and it was complicated, like whereas now anybody like a two-year-old can sit down and know how to use the web. Yeah. Well, I suppose, like anything, you've got to start out with a concept and then you've got to implement it and work out what works and what doesn't work. Well, you, you simplify and improve. That's that's yeah. how man gets by. And this was basically, I guess the first thing I noticed, because I was in Silicon Valley at the time, and when the internet or the World Wide Web first came out, the billboards would be you know, intel.com, you know, apple.com. Microsoft.com. By the time I left, it was cornflakes.com. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what the heck? I've got to know who the original client was. It could be any 
computer anywhere on the internet. Yeah. But it had to have this software. I would have thought it would have been one of the big companies that did it, quite frankly. No, it's probably a university... A university or somewhere. Researchers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's unlike Alexander Graham Bell when he made the first phone call. Hmm. Didn't get an answer because he was the only one with the telephone. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Ahoy! That was his, how he wanted us to answer the phone. And mm. that's how Mr. Burns answers the phone. Well, he says ahoy hoy oh, because he's wealthy. <laughs> <laughs> he can afford the extra hoy. But it's incredible that in the 30 years the web has actually been happening, and, and it's such an important part of our lives these days, it, it's only taken 30 years. To completely wreck itself. <laughs> well, but, yeah. But actually, you did want to know the, the person involved. Mm-hmm. His name was Tim Berners-Lee. He was a software consultant at CERN, CERN? which CERN is the, the European Nuclear that's right. Organization. That's right. I, I had a feeling there was somebody special that did it. Mm. If you wonder why the world has what we call pure research, where they, they being the, the boffins of the world, would study a concept as far as humanly possible, you not can. necessarily with a commercial outcome in mind. But pure research, and it goes on everywhere, and things come out of it. Mm. This guy needed to be able to share his papers on a network that wasn't very friendly. But CERN is still uh, a very highly regarded um, institution, isn't it? Oh, it it is. They've got the super collider and all sorts of things That's right, yeah. But they rejected this theory or this concept three times before Before they took on. Yeah, yeah. it just shows you that sometimes people are way ahead of... Everybody else, you know, they, they, well, they're yeah, so far ahead. The, we call them the lesson of of following the the wrong rabbit down the wrong hole with uh, VHS well, and beta tapes, with cassettes and mini discs. Yeah, and but they they let the market decide that. Yeah, mm. and not always the better technology won. Um, Sony with Betamax followed Philips with the compact cassette. One cent from every cassette went to Philips. Made him a lot of money. Mm. So he said, oh, we, we'll license this to anybody who wants it. And JVC, who had the um, VHS, said, oh, you can have it for free. Of course, everybody said, free? <laughs> I want that. <laughs> Everybody's looking for something for free, mate. Yep, and everybody. Anyway, that's today's tech talk. Okay. okay. Now, now, what else happened round about this time? Well, well on Christmas Day... Back in 1974, I know that's a long time ago. That's before colour TV. It is? Yes. Oh, yeah. I can remember seeing this in black and white. Yeah. Wow. Cyclone Tracy attacked Darwin and left it in tatters. Well, it whisked it away. You've all seen those horrible images of usually the USA when the tornadoes and twisters have gone through there and wrecked everything. Well, it happened to Australia. I was 14 at the time. My lasting memory is watching all those lucky people boarding a Qantas jumbo jet to evacuate <laughs> to the city. They yeah. were running away to find somewhere to live, and I'm thinking, those lucky buggers are getting a ride in a jumbo jet. <laughs> I, I felt sorry for anybody named Tracy after that because they really copped a lot of, you know, they, they were called Cyclone Tracy mm. and all that sort of thing. But uh, friends of mine were up there, um, actually very elderly friends of mine. They had lived through a previous cyclone that almost wrecked Darwin yeah. way back in the 30s. Well, they, they, they reckon there. the winds this in Cyclone Tracy were around about 300 kilometres an hour. Mm. Of course, our flying round and round in circles to the eye as well. Um, they, and there were 71 people killed and 9,000 homes destroyed and uh, 43,500 people were generally evacuated. 
They had to be. There was nowhere yeah. for, for them to live. They had to be out of there. And it wasn't... The city was evacuated, not the people. Oh, yeah. Because yes. well, I don't they, want they, to be evacuated. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. but, but they had to get the army in mm. to start the rebuilding and cleaning up and everything. Most possessions were, were either whizzed away in the, in the wind or else they were totally destroyed. But there were a lot of people decided they didn't want to leave. They were going to stay there, and they did. Yeah. You know, they, there was a, quite a few people didn't didn't evacuate Darwin at all. They stayed. Home is home. Yeah, this is right. Even if it's blown away in the bush. And, of course, they learnt from this how to uh, cyclone-proof the houses. So now they don't sit up in the air on sticks like they used to. They're well and truly ground-level homes, and they're tied down. The roof structures don't peel off anymore. The the theory with the elevated homes was the wind would just blow underneath. That's right. That that was a good theory. But it it was a cooling theory. It was part of the cooling system. Okay. That was what it was for. That's why the Queensland homes are built the same way, Mm. because the wind would blow underneath and it would keep the the cool air going, you know. Now, if they want to know where all that stuff is... Where's that plastic island in the middle of the Pacific that's got all the straws and bags? (laughs) Darwin's probably there. That's probably a bit of it. Mm. And more recently, just another piece of of climate, in 2001, bushfires in New South Wales ran for three weeks. Mm. I mean, it's incredible to think that so much bushland was able to go up but i suppose it was the preceding dry period and the strong westerly winds came off the the dry earth that would have dried the vegetation and just driven the flames in front of it but what about the fires that have just been up in queensland exactly now with these heavy rains falling up there the soil's just going to wash away you know it'll be just double devastation for that area well we're going to have to be careful in about two months why? Because all the rain we've had recently is going to be forming new vegetation. Yes. And if the rain stops, that will become Dry fuel. and fuel for fire. So yeah. we get a hot February yeah. and we could have some troubles. They're, they're talking on the television about the around the Eucla area in WA. Mm. That's going to be a high fire danger. Wow. They said it's so dry and so thing there. They said if any thunderstorm comes through there and starts a fire, it'll just go like crazy. And you're listening to Been There, Done That on Joy 94.9. Stay tuned. There's more. You can find more Joycasts and show blogs. Go to joy.org.au. You're with Gordon, Phil and Chris. Been There, Done That, Joy 94.9. Thanks for being with us. Now, with politics, we always complain about politics on our show because it's one of those perennial things that no one seems to get right. That's because we're grumpy old men. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm talking about the politicians. Yeah, but see, we the, don't. Sometimes we agree with them. Sometimes we don't. They tend to argue amongst themselves rather than being cooperative and collaborative. Yeah, but that's the trouble with the Australian scene because Australia is a very uh, collaborative system of government. It is not a, 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 a consensus system of government. If you're in opposition, you have to fight the government. Combative, you mean? Combative. Well, it's a, it, yeah. That's what I mean. But it, it, they, they just have to fight one another. That's the way it is. Well, I came here for an argument. Yeah. No, you didn't. <laughs> that's, that's just <laughs> denial. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, but this is the problem with all poli- the, the political scene in Australia. It was the same as uh, as, as um, one of the, a lot of the things that have happened in the past. That it's it's purely because it's been combative, and um, one 
wants to be thing. Well, um, one of the uh, ex-prime ministers who was in opposition became the best leader of the opposition when he became the prime minister. You know, work that one out if you can. Oh, was he part of Abbott and Costello? Yes, he was part mm. of Abbott and Costello, yes. And he was in Costello. He was in Costello, yeah. That's the, that was the, that's the way, you see, you get these different people. But he, yeah, as prime minister, he continued to be the opposition leader. That's right. And yeah. complained and blamed everything <laughs> instead of doing anything. Yeah. And this is what this is what is happening at the moment too with mm. the the current government. They're, they're picking on Shorten, the leader yeah. of the opposition. They're not worrying about policy. They're picking on him because they're saying he's going to do this, this, and this. What he's going to do is beat them at the next election. <laughs> well, probably. Well, back in 1975, the the Liberal Party, instead of losing an election, as was likely to happen this time round, they actually won a landslide majority of 55 seats uh, over the ALP and that was the the uh, the Gough Whitlam well, well, the, it was the Malcolm Fraser's Liberal Party as the pages of history are being turned Malcolm Fraser is actually looking to be quite a respectable and liberal and progressive politician actually Malcolm Fraser left the Liberal Party at the end of his life he just wouldn't have anything to do with them. He said they were rubbish. He just didn't want to have anything to do with but them. But he didn't win that election. Labor had screwed they up lost so it. badly. Bugs Bunny could have won that That's election. Right, yeah. <laughs> Blind well, Freddy and his dog. Well, this is because of Gough Whitlam and, yeah. And, and, and some of the thing, this Kemlani affair and yeah, all the rest of it. dodgy financing. You know, yes, dodgy mm. finances. But and all once the again, it. it's not the, another party winning because of the strength of the party. It's, it's the party that's in power losing that's right. well, the trust of that's, the people. That's what actually happens. The, 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 the governing party loses. The opposition don't win. The governing party loses. But this was, spe- was a special time anyway because we had had liberal governments oh, yeah. forever, yeah. which is how it felt. And we'd had the Menzies and the Well, Menzies the was there for 27 years. And Labor came along and said it's time for a change, mm. which is true. It was time for a change. Mm. Didn't mean they were necessarily up for the job. So no, but, in three but, years, they went from 1972 in a landslide win, mm. saying we can be new and different. In 1975, they'd screwed it up totally but, and lost. But Goff, in the first two days of Parliament, pulled us out of Vietnam. He good said, idea. It's good, which was a bloody good idea, yeah. We shouldn't have been there in the first place, but that was the way it was. And he also did a few other good things very quickly that hadn't been done for years. Mm. Mm. But because then, they needed then, to be done. Yeah, but then he f- then again fell apart. But Well, they lost the control yeah, and the, the, yeah. things but, started happening and in it's the background. The, it's the same, it was the same with um, John Howard. He had reached his zenith and was sort of on the way down a little bit when Kevin Rudd came along. And Kevin Rudd was so, oh, whatever you want to call him, <laughs> he won that election very easily, but then fell apart himself on the way through. Yeah, but people... People were getting very sick of little Johnny Howard. Oh, yeah. He, yeah. he blew that himself. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. This is The governments lose. Oppositions yeah. don't win. That's, that's the usual thing about it. Now, sadly, on the 17th of December 1967, one of our prime ministers went missing while swimming at Portsea yeah, in I Victoria. Said, now, there's a few one, stories. One, well, was he picked up by a Chinese submarine? No. No. <laughs> No, I think well, you said that very quickly. <laughs> I think he was shark fodder. Yeah. On the 17th of December 1967, just one week before the, the Holt family were due to leave for their Christmas break at Portsea on the Mornington Peninsula, Harold Holt went swimming at Cheviot Beach at Point Nepean. 
not far from Portsea. After plunging into the notoriously rough surf, Holt disappeared. He was never seen again, and theories as to his fate have abounded ever since. I don't think they abounded anywhere. I think he just drowned. <laughs> well, despite an extensive search, neither his body nor any trace of his clothes yeah. was ever found. Yeah. And he was officially presumed dead on the 19th of December, yeah. he, 1967, you know. But the thing was that he had swum there many, many times before. And yeah. he knew the water and he knew what it was like. Um, and he had come from a party, the Christmas party, the night before mm. or something or other, and they did say that he probably wasn't really thinking straight when he went into the water. Speaking of thinking straight, why did they name a swimming pool after him? Well, And a brutalist, brutalist concrete building at that too. Yes, well, the, you're talking about the, the swimming centre in Malvern, Malvern. or mm. Glen Iris, I think it is. No, it's really in Malvern. It was named in honour of Prime Minister Harold Holt. Couldn't we have a whilst library? Whilst the thing was being constructed, and he was the local Member of Parliament representing the division of Higgins. Higgins. So I suppose in some ways it was an appropriate memorial, but it was very ironic. Yeah, the swimming <laughs> pool for somebody that drowned. Imagine <laughs> a little kid going for swimming lessons. And think, oh, I don't think this is the place. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember when they had his funeral. I had to drive from Paran across to Mooney Ponds for some reason. I had to go oh, and get something. Go see Dame Edna. And I tell you what, the, the traffic was at a standstill. It was amazing because, because um, Johnston, President Johnston, came out for the funeral. Mm. The uh, American president. Mm. They do cause massive traffic <laughs> disruptions. They Look, they can't even walk across the road. I was reading the other day that Trump had to only walk across the road to go and visit somebody, but they took a they took a cavalcade and they had so many cars, they had so many police, and they had outriders, they had everybody. Thing he could have walked across the road in five seconds. Yeah, but it would have been target. Obama did that frequently. Trump, yeah. I don't think, would get away with that. I don't think Trump could walk anywhere except around the uh, around his golf course. But he doesn't even know who's going to shoot him because <laughs> both sides <laughs> want him. <laughs> Golly gosh. Uh, December the 18th, 1894, women in South Australia were given the right to vote. Second it, it, people in the world. Mm. What, behind men? No, no, second women. <laughs> second, New Zealand gave it to them first, yeah. gave women the vote first. Mm. Uh, was South Australia was the first colony in Australia and only the fourth place in the world where women gained the vote. And uh, it had been discussed since the 1860s and it just came to pass at that particular time. The vote was taken, but then they didn't have the elephant stamp or whatever it was to put on the actual document to the put Queen it stamp. into the lawn. Oh, right, sorry. Vicky yeah. need to stamp on it. Yeah, yeah. But they got a... They, the funny part it about... It was a bit sneaky, wasn't there it? Was a sneaky, there was a sneaky thing about that because one of the guys in the parliament didn't want it. So he put forward a bill that was so convoluted that nobody could understand it. But what he had done was given women the vote and didn't realise it. So when they came to vote... They voted for his bill, which gave the women the vote, which, which was which was it was just quite wouldn't, amazing. You wouldn't really call that progressive, then? Would no, you? no, he didn't want it, but he he wrote it into the will, wrote it into his bill without realizing what he'd done, and then they voted on the bill as the bill was, and um, the women got the vote. <laughs> so, oh, fantasy! Yeah, there's a there's a there's a silly bloke working for something or other that he didn't know existed. <laughs> 
Uh, you're with Gordon, Phil and Chris. Been there, done that. Joy, 94.9. Stay tuned because we've got a little bit of something else to wrap up the show before we go and have our two shows of music, uh, New Year's Day and Christmas Day. Love Radio? Joy is now on iHeartRadio. Turn us on anywhere. You're with Phil, Chris and Gordon. Been there, done that. Joy, 94.9. Oh, it is the season to be jolly. Oh. Tra la 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 la. Oh, stop it. It is the season <laughs> to be festive. 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 Oh. Okay. All right. Can I have a sleeping pill on Christmas Eve? <laughs> you can wake have a, up on Boxing I would, Day? I would prefer to have one now and wake up at the, at about the 4th of June. Channel 9 have a sleeping pill every Christmas Eve. It's called Carol's by Candlelight. <laughs> <laughs> if that doesn't work, nothing will. No, well. Back in 1843, the giving and receiving of Christmas cards was started. Hmm. It's almost over, though. Have you noticed? See, less and less. You know why? why? It's the cost of postage. It isn't. I, I posted. I posted a card to Britain. Yeah. And one to Canada. Two dollars thirty. Two dollars thirty. And I That's thought to right. myself, used to be able to do that for a dollar. For our younger audience, postage <laughs> is something you buy a, a stamp, and which is a self-adhesive little label you put on an envelope. And inside the envelope, you would have a Christmas card or a written message to somebody, much in the way we now do email. Well, that's what I think is going to happen. Most people will be sending email Christmas cards this year. I've only received, I think think I've got about six. Normally, I would have about 30 by this time. I think e-cards fell out of favour a few years ago, Mm. too. They're Mm. they're gone. They got quite elaborate. They did, but they also harboured little little gremlins and viruses. Mm. Oh, so you say that as a PC owner, we're, we're immune on the Apple yeah, side. The Apple side, yeah, we don't oh. care. <laughs> <laughs> now there's an argument for Christmas Eve. Yeah. <laughs> I remember reading about how they were somebody designed them and decided to send a this little card. Well, Sir Henry Cole, uh, director of London's Victoria and Albert Museum. Uh, better known as the V&A, mm-hmm. found that writing numerous Christmas greetings to friends as letters was becoming a, a time-consuming task. And he asked his artist friend, John Horsley, to design a card which could be used by Cole and also sold to the public. And the first Christmas cards were created in 1843, and he produced a thousand lithographed and hand-coloured cards. More like post- postcards. They sold for a shilling, you know. That was which, a lot of money. Which was the equivalent of a day's wages for a labourer. Mm. And it was another 20 years before Christmas cards became commercially viable for the common man, yeah, following the invention of cheaper colour lithography. Oddly enough, the equipment sending your mail is made by a company called Cisco, which has got a real feel of the Wild West in it. Oh, the Cisco kid. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Oh, the bang, Cisco bang. routers, if you... Remember a, a Simpsons episode from many years ago. They followed an email that um, Marge sent to the millionaire guy. And it, anyway, her sister said, because she was going to phone him up or write him a letter. And they said, no, email, she mail. So she did. And they followed the trace of the email through the internet. And it got to the Cisco router, which had flies buzzing around it, and it slowed it down by a huge amount. <laughs> <laughs> so that might have been their own little complaint. Yeah, yeah there but you the, go. The, the thing is, about ten days later, yeah. one of the greatest uh, Christmas stories was published for the Indeed, first time. Indeed, in the same days, year, eighteen forty-three. Yeah, ten uh, days later, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol mm. first published. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and that's been 
published and written and done everything every year since, I think. It's, it's such a popular, popular story. I don't think it's ever been out of print. And they bring it forward in movies and television shows. And well, There wouldn't be a sitcom in the world that hasn't had a Christmas carol-based right. theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's a good story. It's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful story because it's, it shows that the way human nature should be. Well, the story of the Christmas carol was the old and bitter miser Ebenezer Scrooge. Scrooge. Scrooge McDuck. Played by Mr. Burns. Oh, yes. Excellent. <laughs> Who, on being uh, visited by the ghost of his deceased business partner, uh, Jacob Marley, he undergoes a uh, profound transformation, becoming the kind and generous character he was before bad life experiences made him bitter and twisted. Mm. Although it was bad news if you were a goose. Yeah, <laughs> because one died at the end of the. Uh, That's book. right. Go and get a well, goose boy. See, the themes of social injustice and poverty are obvious throughout the story of the Christmas Carol, and it remains to this day an enduring tale of man's need for love and forgiveness. That's exactly right. It's, it's a beautiful story, and of course, uh, Charles Dickens was such a brilliant author. He, he wrote a lot about different times of how things were horrible and how they. Did some, sometimes come very, very good. Well, you know? and it's a timely remover. I was going to say, life was really tough in those times. Oh, yeah, yeah. We've got it sweet here in this day and age, honey. Speaking of sweet. Yes. Dickens reminds us at Christmas to buy humbugs. Bar humbugs. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> humbugs. What are they? Are they those boiled lollies, black and white or brown black and, white, and white? Brown and white, and they. Pepperminty. Pepperminty, yes. They're really nice. And you've got to be careful in these days of the Me Too movement who you give your boiled lollies to. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, dear, oh, Because they'll misinterpret it. Oh, yes. A couple of gay guys who had birthdays around about this time, 6th of December, uh, was soon Noel Coward. The is the English esthete? Yes, he was named Noel because he was born on that day. Oh, His yes. mother decided it was so close to Christmas that she had to call him Noel. Oh, Okay. But the sad thing is, there's an L in the word no L. Is there? There should be no L. Oh, right. There's no, no L in L. There's no L, no L in no L. <laughs> there is an L in no L. Um, now you're talking uh, he about He was Ellen. a playwright, composer, director, actor and singer, and he died in 1973. But he wasn't a discreet gay person. He was proudly gay, I would have to say. But he, he was fashionably so because he, he just... Well, called he, everybody's bluff. But he was also a very, very popular with the English royal family. Very popular with Princess Margaret. She was... Oh, she, yeah. Oh, yes, she liked Noel Coward. Noel Coward it, knew how to play the play the whole thing. And, is he and responsible a, for mad dogs and Englishmen? That's right. They go out in the midday sun. He had a, a, a wonderful last part of his life when he became one of the superstars of Las Vegas. Well, the, Eng, the Americans loved him. He just... Took, took over Las Vegas, one of the big hotel rooms there, and, and, and just and started. sang his songs Sang there. his songs and told stories. And abs- if you've ever heard them recorded, they're absolutely brilliant. Again, being pedantic, he probably took over one of the showrooms, not the hotel rooms. Oh, well, the hotel Because they seat more people. <laughs> yeah, could you force it over in that corner? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks, Philip. <laughs> you yeah. can sit on the bed and watch the show. <laughs> he had yeah. a huge career at the end. Someone else who had a wonderful career was Nigel Hawthorne, the UK actor. He was Sir Humphrey Appleby in Yes Minister, yeah. and uh, he was uh, he died on the twenty sixth of December two thousand and one. 
he played the advisor, the secretary of a government department, and the minister was bumbling, and Sir Humphrey Appleby Nigel Hawthorne had all the right answers. He was... Those speeches he used to go through, how he ever remembered to do them. They were long, convoluted, back-to-front theories and the, all the rest the, of it. The, the just... person who wrote the stories that were in Minister, Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister, uh, must have known how the public service ran uh, because... You don't. Nothing can be done simply and easy. No. It's not like the the current attitude that uh, try and find the easiest way to get the job done. He was find the most difficult way to get the job done. But I'm saying about him having to remember oh, yeah. how to say it, you yeah. know, because they went along for about five minutes every episode. But what about that pianist fella? Oh, now someone who uh, uh, had a birthday back on the 9th of December 1980, Simon Helberg. And I don't know whether people would have seen the film about Florence Foster, Foster Jenkins, Jenkins, the American singer lady who couldn't sing, <laughs> but she still hired Carnegie Hall. I think singer is a very, very inappropriate <laughs> She was word. off key and around the bend and she was not a very good... However, in the film version recently, who was who played... Meryl Streep, I think, played Meryl the... Meryl Streep was Florence uh, Foster person, Jenkins, yes. yes. Uh, but the her concert pianist, the little fellow in the background who was accompanying her, was Simon Helberg, better known to some of us as Howard Wolowitz in The Big Bang Theory. And he's best known for not having a doctorate. <laughs> is Everybody, he? Every other major cast member is a doctor of something, be it physics or medicine or yeah. um, chemistry and whatever, and they tease him relentlessly. Because he's not a doctor. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but he also, uh, in some episodes, uh, seems to have a bromance with Raj, one of the other male team the, members. The chap from India. He is. And the one of the characters' mothers is a, a psychologist, and she is a very blunt woman, and she asks them, if they're sitting on the, the table, whether they're still in their latent homosexual relationship. <laughs> <laughs> because they're, they're constantly oh, just saying suggestive things and correcting themselves. Oh, that's not what I meant and stuff oh, like that. Right, but yeah. it's, um, is, it, it, is BBT still on? It's oh, yeah. in its final season. It's uh, They finish, well, I say filming, but recording hmm. in April next year. Oh, right. Does it's reached the point now where they can make just as much money out of the reruns in syndication without having to pay the cast multi-million dollar but contracts. The, but the cast would be under contract to get part mm. of it. They'd, they'd get, be getting residual payments. You would hope so. Yeah. But yeah. there's a spin-off called Young Sheldon and they've actually used that in the current series because Sheldon recorded a tape to himself in the future and said, if you're watching this tape, something's gone horribly wrong. <laughs> and then somebody tapes a football game over the rest of the recording. <laughs> Oh, oh, look at the time. It's nearly time for us it, to get out of here. It's time for us to go because we've got a little piece of music to, to play out with. We're looking forward to the next few days where we can start to wind down and we hope that you can as well. So until next week when we'll have a music program and the following week we'll have a music program. We should wish people a Merry Christmas. Well, we should do that. Because next time you hear us... It'll be you will have either had it or not had a Merry we Christmas. Can't, no, we can't say Merry idea. Christmas next time well, they listen yes, to us. Yes, indeed, do have so a Merry Christmas. Everybody have a... Oh, why do we sound like the cranks against us? 
I'll just say we'll have a happy festive season. Hello everyone, this is Adam Stobbs from Allegra Non Troppo with a special message for everybody who's celebrating the festive season. You better get a grip on reality because it's all bollocks. Humbug. Cheerio for now. Bye for now. Now, very, very Merry Christmas. And Happy Holidays. Joy 94.9. This Joycast is a free service brought to you by Joy 94.9. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy.